Now this morning to the last few verses of 1 John chapter 5 as we conclude our summer study of this letter. You'll find an outline on pages 10 and 11. Follow along if you, in your Bibles as well if you like. We have said along the way that this is a book of assurance and reassurance to a people who have been rocked a bit by recent events. We don't know all of what they have been facing. There are very little hints and clues in the text itself that would tell us what the troubles were. We know that a group of people who had been with them had departed, and that was very unsettling. They renounced the gospel as they departed. They walked away from the cross, and this has shaken them. But over and over again, John has said, dear friends, dear brothers, dear children, and he has tried to reach out to them in the overarching way of assurance, certainty, that they may know, we saw last week, I write these things, verse 13, chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants to advertise and advocate certainty to them because he knows that there are many who would take it away from them if they could. So we come now to the final section, beginning in verse 18, where he gives three affirmations and then an exhortation as he concludes. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for raising up the Apostle John, who began as a disciple and a fisherman, and who came to love you, to serve you, to write much of the New Testament in testimony to you. And we pray as we conclude this series that you might keep his words, your word, fresh in our hearts and that we might have that daily certainty which he seemed so eager to provide through his words. Guide us now as we look to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this matter of certainty is a big one for me, for you, for, for the world. I remember as an entering freshman, as I went to college, I was wrestling with the questions of Christianity. I had been raised in the church and had gone to Sunday school and Bible school and was familiar with the story of the gospel, but it didn't seem to have had much effect in my life, and I recognized that. And after a period of actual hostility to it, I was beginning to become more interested, partly through the woman who became my wife, who also was interested. As I went to college, I was placed as, because freshmen don't know anything, they put you in this seminar, you know, with somebody who does. 
And we were gathered together, and for, in God's providence, I was placed into a seminar uh, led by a religion professor. And the core of the class was a discussion of the truth claims of Christianity. And the first thing we received was a copy of Sigmund Freud's 1927 book, The Future of an Illusion, which is the title of this message. Sigmund Freud said that religion, like Karl Marx, who said it was the opiate of the people, he said it was, it was a nice thing, on, on balance maybe even useful, but hardly true, and certainly not real. It was a mirage. It was an illusion. It was, if God does exist, something of a trick played upon mankind. Well, this was shaking to me. I was wondering about these things. I was examining the scriptures on my own. I was attending an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group and listening to what they had to say. I didn't know what to make of it. Is it true or not? This was an internal question in my life, but it's a common one even today. As a pastor for over 35 years preaching the gospel, we still, at least I still doubt occasionally. I still wonder if these things are really true. I hope that's not too shocking to you, but sometimes, for whatever reason, I feel touched by discouragement or by the devil or by other issues, and I wonder, and I sense that you do too. And John knows that, and God knows that, and he wants us to have assurance He wants to have the strongest affirmation we can. And so beginning in chapter 1 and carrying all the way through chapter 5, he says these things are real, these things are true. He begins in chapter 1 with an extensive statement and testimony saying, I saw him. I heard him. I felt him. He is real. So for almost the first chapter, he recognizes and affirms on the side of reality that Christianity is grounded in reality. But he also introduces in the first chapter what he comes back to again here, this matter of sin. If there is a God, what about rebellion? And without going into the whole thing of of the Garden of Eden, he acknowledges that sin is a ready part of our lives. And as he says in, verse, in chapter 1, anyone who says they are not a sinner is a liar. Two realities. Jesus is real. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And sin is real. It is not imaginary. It's not just a drifting. It is an actual act of rebellion and disobedience against the law of God. And if anyone says to you, well, I don't sin, they're lying. Then he goes on to affirm again and again through these threefold tests, the, the sustenance or the foundation of how our faith can be tested. If you're a Christian, you will obey him. That's real. Real obedience, doing what the Bible says, which you would not ordinarily do. If you're a Christian, you will love the brothers unlovely as we are, you will care for them. That's a sign of the reality 
at the truth of the gospel. And if you are a Christian, you will adhere to the teachings of the Bible, regardless of what other people teach in contra- in, against it or in contrast to it. That is theological orthodoxy. Now, having said all that, he affirms again in verse 18, toward this assurance, three affirmations in this section and following. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. This is the first, verse 18. What he means by this is you recognize that you're in the game. Someone who is not a Christian doesn't even know what's happening to them. They don't even think about it. They are entirely caught up in the ways of sin, the devil, and disobedience and rebellion. They don't even know they're in the game. But one of the, one of the reasons, or one of the indications that we are in the game, one of the things that should give us assurance is that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now, he doesn't mean that we ever reach a point of sinless perfection. What he means is we, we are fighting it. We don't want it. Its attraction is very strong, but we are pushing against it. We are wrestling with right and wrong, with sin and obedience. We are in the game. We are not just asleep or apart from it. Anyone born of God, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. For in fact, the one who was born of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, keeps him safe, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, uh, Christ helps us in this. And we must acknowledge that if it wasn't for his help, we would be overcome in sin. We would be pushed back like the, as if by the waves of the ocean, back into the old man, the old nature, the old ways of thinking and acting. But there is one who helps us. Not only do we know that we're in the game and we do not continue to sin, but we begin to fight against it. But the one who was born of God keeps us safe and helps us. And in that sense, he can say even in, in a way that can be misinterpreted, but it, he, what he really means is the devil cannot touch him. He, will, he, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, even if you're as weak as water, as Ezekiel says. Even if you just can't fight anymore. There's one who fights for you. There's one who will keep you safe and he will keep you from the... Now, we would say, well, the devil touches me from time to time, yes. But what he means is the devil doesn't own you. As he's going to say, he owns the rest of the world. So one of the indications, one of the assertions of John here at the end to give final assurance to the people to whom he writes is that we know that we are, there's some reality to this because anyone who has sought to follow Christ has encountered resistance. That resistance is real. It's a battle, the Bible says. It's a fight, Paul writes. It's a struggle. We wrestle against not only flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. We're in a real cataclysmic conflict. That's an indication of the reality of this. The troubles you encounter in wrestling with sin are grievous and painful and we, 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 are, we get discouraged because we don't make more progress. But on the other hand, in the big picture, that's an affirmation that these things are true. 
that what the Bible says about how the world works is accurate. Which is the second point, that we are children of God. Verse 19, we know that we're children. This is the second we know. We know, verse 18, that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now the second note, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We would know that if he didn't tell us. But when we know Christ, it begins to make sense. God remains the source of our spiritual life and being, but the rest of the world is lying quietly under the control of Satan. The battle rages in between God and Satan. The whole world is under the control. The NIV translates something that is a little bit more understated. Lying quietly, he writes in the, in the original, under the control of the evil one is what we find. So everyone is either a child of God or is under the control of the devil. There is no third option. There is male, there is female, there is no third option. There are those who are Christ's, there are those who are under the control of the devil, there is no third option. Either are or you are not. The light is either on in your life and you have eternal life through him or you don't. People may affirm, they may say to you, well, I I don't have any objection to Christianity. I have no opposition to it. Uh, But I'm not ready to embrace it. And I certainly don't want to live a life for the devil. I just want to be a good person. I just want to be a responsible citizen and be left alone. Am I not a third person? Am I not a third category, therefore? Can't I just be mannerly and civilized And not agree to all these things, either one or the other, and certainly not have anything to do with the devil? No. No, there's only two. There are those who are kept kept safe by this one who was born of God. And the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. Either you are one of his or you're one of the devil's. That's it. If you want a fuller exposition of this... Look at Romans 6, where Paul in great detail lays out the fact that the whole world is enslaved to one of two things, Christ or the devil, one or the other. This explains how the world works and why the world works as it does. It seems as though in our generation what we're trying to do is just get some more uh, mannerly, civilized, educated people who won't fight about religion or anything else and who will just behave themselves. Send them to school, train them, get them to behave and be good citizens. We don't need to worry about religion. It doesn't work. It seems as though our culture is trying to get more and more of those people all the time. Let's have more and more of those kinds of folks and we won't have so many problems and we won't have to deal with religious issues, which are so divisive. The Bible says that's not reality. Reality is... We know that we are children of God and that the whole world of the rest of the folk who are children of God are under the control of the devil. This is how the world really works. There isn't a third category of nice people who just don't care about either the devil or the Lord. Thirdly, a third we know, verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Now, we know in other places he says he gave us eternal life, he gave us forgiveness of sins, but now he says he's given us understanding. 
He opens our eyes to the truth. And now begins a series of three statements with the word true and truth prominently displayed in them. He has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son Jesus Christ, for he is the true God and eternal life. Now, surely this is here for emphasis. Surely he wants his, those who are reading this letter, the people to whom he is writing, to have assurance of the trustworthiness and the reality of these things. Believers are in him who is true, he describes it. We know him who is true only because he sent his son and we are in him. He said this in John 17, this famous verse, Now this is eternal life that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, his closing affirmations are very strong to say that Christianity is not an illusion. That Jesus Christ is not an imaginary figure living only in the hearts and minds of so-called Christians. He would live if none of us believed. He would live if the whole world turned away from him. Because he is reality. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who came from the Father to give us eternal life. And what he has given us is actual and factual. Substantial. Everyone will tell you that religion is fanciful. That Christianity is just a nice idea. Good for some people, not good for others. Certainly not good for me, they'll say. But John says that's not true. What's true is that it's real. And it's grounded in the facts. Therefore, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is a very strong and pointed ending. Doesn't have an amen on it. Doesn't have a farewell and blessings to all kind of a feeling. This is the bottom line. What are idols? I've been reading about them for many years. They are often mentioned in Scripture. How can I summarize for you? And what is John reaching for? Idols in the final analysis are one thing. They are illusions. There is a, an illusion that if you have enough money, you won't have any problems. It's not true. There is an illusion that if you live a long life, you'll have a rich and full one. Not necessarily. There is an illusion if you attain success and achievement and the praise of others, that you will be popular. Not for long. There is an illusion that if you get what you want, you'll be happy. This is a big problem 
And so he ends with this. He wants to say, reality, unreality. Christ, idolatry. Whatever it is that you want, even a really good thing, that you make supreme and preeminent in your life, will end badly. If you love your job too much, you are liable to forsake many other good things for it. If you love money too much, you are liable to turn the arc of your life in a direction that takes you places along the way and ultimately that you don't want to go. If you make your family too important to you, you will make sacrifices and you will, and you will, you will praise them and you will put them in a place of near worship. And it will make you, your life distorted. There's only one who is worthy of that place. We sang about him earlier. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He is the one, the only one, who is real, who can be counted on to take you through the valley of the shadow of death, through the rejection at work, through the loss of a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you thought you couldn't live without, through a a situation where you didn't get the teacher you wanted in school this week. He's the only one that can be with you through these things, great and small, to sustain you. This week, Lori Conway stopped by on her way to New York. She is Fred Reynolds' widow, as you know. She stopped by to say goodbye or at least farewell for a short time, I hope. And it struck me, perhaps because I was working on this sermon, I said, Lori, remember one thing. Hold on to this. Fred Reynolds and your relationship and your marriage to him was not an illusion. It was real. And, And it seemed to stop her for a moment. And she began to see... Oh, yeah. I know her well enough to know that her life has kind of been segmented. She's had childhood and early adulthood, and then she met Fred, and now what? The devil will come to her soon, and he will say, Fred Reynolds? Not so great. A phony. Your relationship and your happiness with him was an illusion. It wasn't real. It didn't really happen. And anyway, it's gone. That's how he works. He wants you to look for the next thing. He wants you to look at something better and greater and future. And we listen to that. I listen to that. And we become convinced that there is something out there that can help us, even save us. And so it's appropriate that he would conclude with these words. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is a battle that you must engage in. It won't happen on its own. If if left to ourselves, we will be swept away with something. And for each one of us, it will be slightly different. Uh, Different things appeal to different people. But it will work. 
So the bottom line is this. Whatever you're chasing that isn't Christ is an illusion. Seek him. Seek him and his kingdom. And all these other things will be added. That He knows you need them. He knows you need money to live. He knows you need health in order to perform your work. He knows you need a family to sustain you and support you. And anything that we can value in life, even good things, he knows we need them. But he knows we need Christ more and first. And I'm so grateful that in my freshman year and entering college, as I worked my way through the future of an illusion by Freud, I found the reality of Jesus Christ in my heart. And he has made a big difference. I'm not the same person that I was inside. He has begun a work of transformation that he's going to carry on to all eternity. And he's doing that for you too. And that is real. It is true. It is fundamentally trustworthy. We all doubt. We all like the father of the epileptic child who said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's true. But doubt your doubts. They aren't true. We have to learn to doubt our doubts, to come against them. And say, no, 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 devil. You may try to touch me, but I have one who will keep me. And the world may be under your control, but you're not coming, I'm not coming under yours. And so we close with an apostolic affirmation. It doesn't matter much what I say, but I tell you what God says. And he says he can be trusted. And stay away from the illusions that you can find happiness and fulfillment anywhere else. Anything you find in those places is transitory, momentary, and dangerous. But in Christ, there is hope. For if you're a Christian, you are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ, for he is the true and eternal life. These things are real. Let us pray. This day, O Lord, as we gather, we thank you for our jobs. This is Labor Day weekend. We thank you for the provision they make, for the success in our lives that they have brought, for the achievement that we've known. But they are not you. We see them only as a means to an end. And though we have some satisfaction in them, we know they can never satisfy like the living God. Likewise, our money, our health, our families, these things are transient. We can't hold on to them. Only you are real and eternal. And so we pray that this day we might heed the words of God, your words, the words of John, your words, to keep ourselves from the illusions that idols are. They're dead. They're mirages. They're not there. Any satisfaction they bring is only a momentary and illusory. They have no future. They will all be burned up. They will not live on. 
And so we thank you for this reassurance this morning and for these affirmations from your word. And we pray that the devil may be kept far from each one of us, that our doubts might not rise to real problem status. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.